Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. I got COVID. They had made it two whole years, but then they, they finally got it. It slowly moved its way through the family, person by person, each of them uh, being affected just a little bit differently. And so one day this week, Christina called our 13-year-old niece, Annie, to see how she was feeling. And Annie said this, I, I got to be honest, Aunt Christina, I'm surviving and not thriving. <laughs> and listen, church, we got to be honest. This is where we are in this uh, series of sermons through the book of Revelation, right? There are, there's some, some tough stuff that we've been looking at and reading about these last few weeks. And we're learning that it takes a little bit extra work uh, to read in light of the original audience, to, to, to get into this, this message and instill it into our lives, but truly, we are learning that this book, uh, this, this book of Revelation, is not something to skip over, but to see as a book of hope. Right? It truly is. It's a, it's a book of hope for those of us who are forging our life on God. And so with that, that said, let me quit dilly-dallying around, and, and we're going to jump right in, because we have a lot of ground to cover this morning. Right, last week, we, we talked about the seven seals of, of judgment found in Revelations chapter sixes, uh, 6 through chapter 8. It was a wonderful, uplifting Mother's Day sermon about how horrible things are in this world and in the unseen world that is all around us, right? Uh, that we are at war, uh, that the battle is real and it's hard and it's messy and, and there's some trials and there's some trouble that is going on. And this week, we're going to talk about two more groups of seven, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. Now, just to, to warn you, things aren't starting to look a little bit better as we dig into these other groups of seven. I saw one commentator and theologian who divided the book of Revelation into three sections. This is what they said. The first section is things are bad. The second section, they simply said things are going to get worse. And then the third section, don't worry, things eventually work out. All right, this is very deep theologians that I read. Right, well, all church, we are in the things are going to get worse section of Revelation. Right, well, we thought the war was bad before. Right, well, just wait until we read on here in a second. Right, the, the, the seven seals uh, were just the tip of the iceberg. But before we, we dive into these really joy-filled chapters of Scripture... I want to put my literary teacher hat on and explain something called progressive parallelism. And she had the reaction that I thought most of you would have when I said progressive parallelism. Now, don't worry. This isn't going to take too long, but it's important, right? Because I think if we, if we understand this concept, it will go a long way to explain why John and God, right, God through John, keep coming back to these groups of seven that we keep seeing in this book of Revelation. Right? Progressive parallelism is a form of writing which states a truth 
and then it restates it in a more complete way. That's it. All right, simple, right? All right, here's an example. All right, if I said my niece Annie is 13, she is a teenager. In that sentence, the the second half does not simply restate the the truth of the first half. It advances the idea. It progresses the idea, right? Saying that Annie is 13 is the truth, but saying that she's a teenager brings along with it an entirely different set of information. Right, you, you parents of a teenager, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm, I'm saying, right? When I say she's a teenager, things like the music that she might listen to comes into your mind. Uh, the, the clothes she might wear come into your mind. The TV shows or the YouTube channels that she's into immediately pop into your mind, right? You have a more complete picture of who she might be when I say Annie my niece is 13, she is a teenager. Right? The second half of that sentence not only parallels the first half, it moves it forward. Right? Uh, hence, progressive parallelism. Right? That wasn't too difficult. Right? <laughs> She's not crying anymore. We're good. Right? So as we read each of these sets of seven, uh, we will see that they are not an entirely new set of events. They are a more complete picture or view uh, of the events that we're already learning about, of the things that are already in motion, the, the things that are happening. Right? It reminds me of learning a new play in football right? or in any sport, really, right? Uh, we watched Micah yesterday play soccer, right? If, if they were teaching a play, it kind of goes like this, right? Especially when you're young, right? The coach uh, will physically place each player in their appropriate spot, right? And we've all seen this on teams that, that our kids have been on, right? And then the, the coach will slowly move through each step. Each step of the play, like you go here and, and you go here and then you do this and then the ball's going to go here. Right? And they do that over and over again. And, and, then, and then you learn the play in its simplest form, right? That form. You go here, you go here, the ball's going here. And then the coach says, now let's run it a little bit faster, maybe a little bit faster than 10 minutes time, right? right? And so you kind of run the play, and no one tackles each other. You just, you just run the play over and over again, and then you're just kind of doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? But this time, everyone's kind of doing it together, right, in, in unison. And then comes the, the scrimmage against your own team's defense, right? You get together, you're running the same play, but now it's like against other people. Uh, there's, it's a little bit more intense because more people are involved. Uh, there's a little bit more sweat and just things going on, but it's still the same play. And then finally, right, if you, if you put the game into uh, the play into an actual game, now it's just not your team playing in the game, but your opponent is playing too. Right? And so the play is now being run with the most information that you have ever had. Right? The most stuff is going on at that particular moment. Each time the play stays the same, but each time you get a little bit more information and a little bit more intensity all the way up to that ultimate time, right? the, the game time when you're running the actual play. Right? That is what this book, the book of Revelation, is doing. 
right? Each time we read about these seals, uh, the, the truth remains the same. Things are rough. Things are bad. Things are difficult, right? The war is raging. It's on. It's going, right? But with each seal, with each group of seven or, or these events, we get a little bit more information, a little bit more clarity, and even a little bit more intense picture of what truly is happening, right? And here's what I think we will find as we work through these next two sets of seven today, all right? We're going to learn that we're not bystanders in this war. We're soldiers, all right? We're not bystanders. We are soldiers and foundry. I don't want you to miss the hope that there is in that statement, right? We are a part of it. Right? We have a part to play. Yes, right? there's this horrible and, and messy and, and painful war being waged in the world that we see and in the one that we don't. But we're not just there to watch it or have things happen to us or, or watch how things unfold around us. We have a job to do. We are a part of the epic. We are a part of the, the army. Right? Think of it like this. Last week, and we talked about just enduring the battle, right? making it through. And that was kind of our first step. And, and a lot of that we're encouraged through worship, right? but we just kind of make it through. And sometimes that's all we can do. Right? All right, but this week we'll learn that there's even more for us to do in this battle, in this war, that we're actually empowered to do it. Right? When we forge our life on God, when we give him our life, when we make him the Lord and the forgiver of our life, right, we receive that spirit that empowers us in this battle. God's with us. There's hope there. Right? We're not at it alone. We don't just have to make it through. Right? We can fight. We can fight. Last week we talked about practicing. Right, And there are three very specific ways we can take that practice into the war. For example, Revelation chapter 8, uh, at the beginning of chapter 8, we see the final seal that we started talking about last week. It's opened, and we are in heaven. There's this vision of heaven. Everyone uh, breathes a sigh of relief, uh, but then uh, the tape is kind of rewound a little bit, and we'll start all over again, right? But this time with seven trumpets, Right? And the trumpet, this imagery, is not in there by mistake. Right? Throughout Scripture and throughout time, trumpets have been used to signal something was about to happen. Right? I mean, think about any of your old medieval war movies. Right? There's always a trumpet before the battle. Something important, something we should take notice of is about to happen when we see a trumpet or when we read about a, a trumpet blaring. Right? Trumpets could mean the king was coming into town or an army was about to invade or help is on its way, hang on. Or, or a trumpet could mean that someone was about to score a goal in a soccer match. Whatever was coming, right, it is a clear thing that when a trumpet sounds, the message is this, get ready, right? Get ready. The, the trumpets are blaring. Get ready. Now, Foundry Church, right, this is what we are hearing and this is what we are seeing when we read through the book of Revelation, 
right? The, the, the trumpet, it, it blares, and we should not just sit there, right? We, we shouldn't just sit there. We got to jump up. We got to do something. We got we to move and get the light out. We got to get ready, right? The, the trumpets of Revelation are already sounding, and we have something to do in this war right now, today, us as people forging our life on God. Now, there's this old preacher joke. It's, it's horrible, all right? It's this old preacher joke that I was reminded of when I was studying for this sermon. It goes like this. A preacher and a youth minister had just finished pounding in a large sign in the ground in the church front yard that says, turn now or perish, all right? Turn now or perish. And a passing driver uh, saw the sign right when they put it up, shook his fist at the pair of ministers and yelled out the window, keep it to yourself, you crazy religious zealots. Right? And then a moment later, uh, the, the two heard the sound of a horrible car crash at the end of the road. And the youth minister turned to the preacher and said, I told you we should have written the bridges out ahead. Right? Told you, yes. All right, listen, right? the trumpet, the trumpet warning in Revelation, it's clear. Get ready, the bridge is out ahead. Do something about it. Right? So, so the question is this, right? what are we called to do? What are we called to do to get ready? Well, let's, let's take a look at this. Right, the, the first six trumpets pretty much explain all the pain and all the problems and horrible things listed in the six seals, that progressive parallelism. Right? And then there's this pause. There's this pause. And in the pause, there are three major characters in this section. John, who's having these visions, right? And the two witnesses. Right, and I want you to notice what this group is asked to do. So read with me Revelation chapter 10. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 10, verse 9 is where we're going to be. And as always, if you don't have a Bible, download the YouVersion Bible app. It's free. It's like 10 million people have it in this world or something like that. I don't know if it's 10 million, but a lot of people have it. It's a really good app. You have devotions on there, and they'll send you updates and text messages to read. And Really good app. Or you could download the Foundry app, and today's scripture's right there. Or better yet, take one of those Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. All right, Revelation chapter 10, verse 9 through 11. Just what we're going to look at here real quick says this. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people's nations, languages, and kings. All right? Now, all right, keep your finger there. Right? I could... I could unpack a lot of imagery uh, there about the scroll being, being tasty and yummy. And then, it, and then we actually, you know, starting to, our body starting to work in it and work on it and becoming sour. And about how sometimes the message of Christ, you know, we accept it and it's sweet and it's honey. But then when we actually have to start forging our life on God, it, oh, you know, it upsets our stuff. There's a lot of imagery there. But, but what I, I want to look at today is the command that John is given. 
Right? What is it? Prophesy. Right? Which is just a fancy way of saying speak the message of God. You just speak the truth of God. Now, jump down to Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. Right, it simply says this, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. Right, notice what the two witnesses are going to do. Prophesy. Right? They're, they're going to prophesy. They're, they're going to speak of the message of God. They're going to tell people about God's grace about who he is in their life and who he can be uh, as their king and their lord, right? <laughs> all hell, literally, right, is, all hell is breaking loose, and God says, prophesy, right? Tell people my message. He says, spread the word, right? God is telling John and his witnesses, which hopefully we know, newsflash, we are his witnesses, right? We are his hands and his feet. Right? That's who we are. Right? We're his witnesses. Right? That the trumpets are sounding. That's what we're called to say. Right? It's time to do this. Build an army. That's what we're being called to do. Right? Build an army. That's the first thing that we can do in this fight, in this battle. Tell people the message of God. And before you roll your eyes, right? And you, you, you roll your eyes and you say, Andrew, that's kind of kind of a cop-out answer, right? Tell people about God, really. His son and the, the redeeming message of God's grace is just some Christian answer to the world's problems. That's just kind of a cop-out. Right? I know, that's what a lot of people think, right? Well, well, listen, when we tell people about God's message, when we tell them the good news, right, that we sinned, that we added to a gap that we couldn't cross, and that God sent his son Jesus to cross that gap so that we can have a relationship with him. When we tell them the good news, we are not just giving people information. Right? We're just not giving a cop-out answer. No, we are building an army of people who to, will fight alongside of us, right? We're, who are, are raising arms together. We're Paul Revere riding through the night, right? We are joining them to the cause of Christ. That's what we're called to do. Prophesy. Join people to the cause of Christ through this battle. Now, maybe, maybe you're going through hell right now. And wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to go through that alone? Right? That, that's, that's what God's talking about here. He's saying step up to the table, right? Your, your kid is making some pretty poor choices. Wouldn't it be great to have someone stand beside you and, and fight the battle of raising a kid in today's world? Right? You, you just lost your job and, and you don't know what you're going to do or make ends meet at the end of the month. You just don't know how that's going to happen. Wouldn't it be nice if you had uh, someone to stand beside you and help you fight for a way to pay those bills? Or heck, even pay them for you uh, because you're in this together. Right? We're the church. Right? Your marriage is having issues uh, right now and, and you just don't know what to do. What if your, your fellow soldier could stand beside you and say, I've been there too. Right? Me too. Right? Let me fight beside you and your spouse and your family for what God has created and established. Right? Prophesying, sharing God's message is so much more than just a, a short story. 
right? It is the good news that we are not alone, that we're not alone, that we have a commanding general who knows the end of the battle, as we've talked about in weeks before. And when we accept this message as true, we get to join an army, an army that walks with us and fights every battle alongside us, right? God says, I see you. The world is falling apart. Build an army so you don't have to hold it together by yourself. Build an army so you don't have to do it all on your own. Build an army so when everything seems lost and and you are pointed in, in the direction of the one who can find everything. Because that's what he does. That's what our fellow church does. That's what this community does. We, we, we're there with each other at the table, working and striving, building an army, being a part of the army. And so as we read on in Revelation, we'll see that there's a pause between the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. Not, I'm not enunciating, not bowls with horns, but bowls of like candy out there. Bowls, all right? All right and from chapter 12... To 14, John kind of peels back the curtain and reveals the true identity of our enemy. And this is where it gets a little freaky, right? All right, see here, right, where we are now, it can be easy. Listen, it can be, just be honest, it can be easy for us to dismiss our enemy, right, just to dismiss it, right, because he's clever. He, that's it. He's the father of all lies. Right? He, he knows that if we saw him completely unmasked, we would just run in fear. Right? That, we, we, that we would, uh, of course we don't want that. Of course we don't, right? We would run away in fear. So, so here in this time, he fights a guerrilla campaign. And that's what we got to know. And that's what, what we're seeing here in Revelation, right? The, there's a great book about this at the Info Center, out there, you can grab a copy on your way out called the Screw Tape Letters that illustrates this very principle. It's just a little book, too, so grab a copy. I know you guys all don't like to read as much, but it's little, and it talks about this guerrilla warfare. It's actually a, a fictional book of a senior demon writing a, uh, a, a letter about how to tempt people to a junior demon. <laughs> and it talks about the devil's tactics. Right? And that's what we're seeing here. we got to know our enemy. Right? A, a, a campaign where he, he hides in the bushes. we got to know that. And he comes out in ways that we would never expect or, or, or never blame him for. But John and God wants us to see who he truly is. And so for three chapters here in Revelation, which I encourage you to read later, right? for three chapters we hear about a hideous blood-red dragon that spreads his leathery wings and spreads blasphemous lies from his jagged teeth who sears his enemies with fiery sulfurous breath is what we read right it's kind of gross and honestly it's some scary stuff right so why include it why tell us all the bad things that are going to happen and then drop in the extra drop of bad stuff by telling us how bad our enemy is how truly bad they are why say yeah everything is falling apart and Oh, by the way, there's this guy out there whose sole aim is to use pain and pleasure to make us blind, stupid, and miserable forever. I mean, what the heck, right? What the actual heck, God? What, we get the point. Things are really, really bad. But here, Foundry Church, is why. 
why right here in the middle of this pause, God thought it was important to include this, right? Again, we must know our enemy. We must know our enemy, right? Like every battle since the dawn of time, if we're going to fight in this war, if we're going to recruit people to the army of God, if we're going to forge our life on God, we have to know what we're up against. Now, the the great Sun Tzu in his book, The Art of War, and I, I don't know why when I say The Art of War, I always go like this, all right? He says this, he says this, know thy enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you'll never be defeated. And God knows this because he originated this idea, right? This is what he's saying. He does not want us to be caught unaware in battle. And so he uses these chapters between the second set of seals and to give us as much information as possible. You see, when we expect Satan to march through the front door looking like the big red dragon, announcing himself loudly as he comes, right? That's not what he does. That's not what he does, but the truth is, right, he comes through, he often, he prefers the back door, really, and the bedroom window, or the, uh, the crack between the floorboards. Satan relies on, on nuance, and, and subtle movements, and a dependence, and surprise, and ignorance, right, to begin to taste victory. We have to start treating the war like a war. We have to study the enemy of our souls. Right, so through these chapters, uh, two beasts and a great prostitute are introduced to explain those methods, the methods of our enemy. The first beast is, a, is godless government, as it's described, with the goal of physical persecution of the saints. That's how it's described, right? And this beast called uh, for people to worship him is what it's saying in Scripture. And those that did not will be destroyed. Right? So, so this, this, this government was to rule over all, to be worshipped above all, to be looked to above all. Now, I know we live in an area where this can kind of be of a, a sticky subject, right? Government and all. But John is saying this, know your enemy. Right? He's saying we're not fighting Republicans or Democrats or independents. No, John is saying our enemy is not the government. Our enemy is the one who's using the government to distract us from who we are called to worship. Who we're called to worship alone. God on high. Our Lord. Right? I, I hate to break it to you guys, but no political party gets everything right. No political party has all the ducks in the row, row right? Jesus did not come to say, uh, set up a new political party. He's not saying that through that our enemy or this first beast is a, is a government. No. All right, he's saying he came to restore his people, to bring them into his kingdom, a kingdom that needs no government because he is in charge. He is king, high priest, war general, judge, jury. He's all that we need. So yes, right? We, we pray for our country. We support our prayer, uh, support our leaders through prayer, take part in our civic duty. But here's what John is saying, right? Before we ever uh, pledge allegiance to a flag, we should pledge allegiance to the cross, meaning what Jesus has done for us is the most important thing. Right? Well, that, that is the thing that saves us. Jesus saves us and not anyone in power. And we're reading that our enemy is going to use... Um, people in power to distract us from that, right? 
Satan then sends forth a second beast. The, the beast, this beast represents false religion. In chapter 13, you'll see that this beast looks like a lamb. Right? He, he's trying to imitate the true lamb of God that we talked about in the very first week of this series. It says in Revelation uh, chapter 13, verses 13 through 14, it says this. It says, he did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to the earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, right? The, the first beast put him, in, put him in charge, right? This government, right? He deceived all people who belonged to the world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. Listen, Satan truly is the father of lies because instead of just physically attacking us, he wages a war of propaganda against God most high. He says, thy will be mine if I can just get them to believe one little lie. That's what Satan's saying to us, right? He, he, says, he says, you can earn your way to heaven, all religions lead to the same place, or there is no God, or you don't need God. You can forge your life on yourself, and you can do it, right? God just wants you to be happy. God, God could never forgive you of your past. Lies, right? And then the, the final tool that our enemy uses is mentioned in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, where it says this. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. The great city is fallen because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Right? The, this is the, the first allusion, the first mention in Revelation of the famous prostitute of Babylon. And we don't need much of an imagination all right, to know that Satan's tool here is a hedonistic society. If we read on in Revelation, not just chapter 14, but all the way through, we'll hear about this great prostitute and her puppeteer, Satan, creating a society where succeeding in business and being successful is all that matters. Right? Getting luxury items or having the next best thing is the, the top priority for this, this lie, for this, this, this enemy's tactic. Drinking to excess is encouraged, we'll read about, and persuading any or pursuing any and all sexual pleasure is welcomed, and obtaining power and fame are the ultimate goal. Right? The, the prostitute seduces the world little by little, step by step, to take our attention away from God. She makes everything so attractive. Right? When we read through chapter 14 and, and on. She makes everything look so attractive, so painless, so wonderful that we completely lose sight of the battle that we are in. And so what do we do? We lay down our arms. We lay down our weapons. We lay down our, our prayers. We lay down our hope in Jesus. We lay down our prophesying. And we just go along with life. We, we settle for the status quo. See, God says, if you don't know your enemy... If you don't know your enemy, if you cannot look around your world and pick him out of the crowd, you will not succeed. That's tough. That's a tough message. 
Right? If you do not know uh, the certain political leaders will use government in, in ways that serve them and Satan, that, that false teachings, people in churches will, will use scriptures to, to dilute and to uh, make weird the message of Christ. Right? And so that we have to do the work. Right? That the, the shining lights of this world are all coordinating with the enemy to draw us away we can lose the war if we're not aware of that. Right? This is not a, a simple a fight because our enemy is not simple. But if we know his tactics and we rely and forge our life on God, well, we have hope. We have hope of what's next in this next group of seven and what it tells us. Right? In the first two sets of seven, if they tell the story of God's judgment leading up to the end of time, uh, of these horrible things being allowed to destroy the world until the end time. Well, well the final set, the, the seven bowls, right? Well, it simply unleashes full and final punishment of a rebel world. Right? And, and there's hope here. This is, this is where the, the, the bad guys get what's coming to them. And this next set of seven, this is where the, the night comes over the, uh, the mountain and wipes clean the battlefield. This is, this is where uh, they play Eye of the Tiger, right? <laughs> and we as the church kind of shadow box. And the enemy is knocked out, dropping to the floor with a horrible thud and a shout of victory from us, the church. Right? right, Starting in chapter 15, judgment pours out from the seven bulls held by seven angels. And these, called, uh, these are called the, the seven last plagues. Now they chose the plagues visual because remember Egypt, right? And the, the plagues that, uh, that held uh, Egypt captive as they held Israel captive. And these chapters are meant to, to picture God's people as slaves again, oppressed and imprisoned in a pagan culture where all those terrible things that we've been talking about are out there. But God loves his people, right? God loves his people, so he releases his anger in order to release his people. I know that sounds a little weird, right? right? The, these bulls or these plagues unleashed on an unrepentant mankind can be hard for unbelievers or even uh, Christians, people forging their life on God, to read. Right? It can leave us with a bad taste in our mouth because our image of God does not square with what we see. Right? The, the wrath of God is not something that we like to talk about or even think about. We love to sing, good, good father, or, or Jesus loves me, but I don't think we, we find so much joy in singing songs called justifiably angry God or, or Jesus shoves me. Right? Right? We, those don't bring as much joy. And we love to think that God never gets angry. And I know the, the reason why we, we think this or why we do this. Right? We, we want to distance ourselves from the, the Westboro Baptists of the world that stand on street corners or, or picket veterans' funerals with signs that say God hates whatever, right? We want to distance ourselves from that. And, and these are all good reasons, but in avoiding the truth of God's wrath, have we missed out on the full picture of God's love? Let's, let's think about that for a second, right? In avoiding God's wrath, have we missed out on the full picture of God's love, right? Mark Moore in his book, How to Dodge a Dragon, says it like, like this. I was going to ask him to clarify. I recently gave this guy 
one of my favorite authors and theologians and preachers, a ride from Richmond to Reagan. And I was going to ask him about this, but five minutes into the car, he fell asleep. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get to ask him this. <laughs> but he writes this in his book, How to Dodge a Dragon. He says this, It is hardly realistic to imagine a God of love who is not also a God of wrath. A mother's whose child is in danger is more fearsome than a bear robbed of her cubs. A man whose lover is assaulted has a lethal zeal. So then he says, it seems, therefore, that the greater the love, the greater the wrath. If that is true, then God's punishment of the wicked can be expected to match his love for the saints. Right? Some can't believe in a God of love who punishes his enemies. The Bible can't picture a God of love who doesn't. Now, of course, our God loves us, right? right? And so, of course, our God will unleash judgment on those when his time is set who would deem to hurt us. And I wouldn't want it any other way because his love is that great. It's that powerful. Every night, Christina and I watch Lester Holt on the nightly news, mostly because I think Christina has a crush on Lester. We'll talk about that later. All right, but, but every, every night, I, I want to scream at the TV, no matter what we're reading or no matter what we're watching, right? Because there's another story of a child being sold into sex slavery or another little boy being kidnapped or, or brainwashed to serve in an evil m- militia. I have friends in in Africa that are dealing with that now, right? Every night there are stories of people dying or fighting for their lives in, in Ukraine. And then every day I hear stories of people that I love, people in this church that are experiencing pain, that are experiencing illnesses, that are experiencing conflict. And I want to scream out to God at the top of my lungs, like we've already talked about in this book of Revelation, how long? How long, God? Right? Will this end? Right? When will this end? And then the last of these, these seven reminds me that as I fight this war, I can do one last thing. Even when I feel like, I can do one last thing, and that's this. I can expect to win. I can expect to win. Right? right? We are at war, and some of us are just enduring Some of us are just getting by. We're all working to grow the army, and we should all work to know the enemy. And as we're doing all this, every step of the way, no matter what is going on around us, we can expect to win. There's hope there, right? Our God loves us, and and he has a righteous anger about what he has and and what is happening to us and and has this wrath that that has never been truly known. And in in chapters 15 through 20 of Revelation, we get to see this wrath unfold and, and our victory won. Read about it. right? In fact, it says this in, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It simply says this, And then I saw the heavens opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. Right? He judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Right, the armies of heaven uh, dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. 
He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. Here's our king, ready for battle. Fierce, riding on a horse, angels' armies are assembled at his back, a sword brandished from his mouth with a scepter like iron in his hand, with eyes like fire. This is our champion. This is our king. Yes, the, the enemies stand vast against our Savior, but in an instant, Jesus, the Word of God, as it says in John, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he destroys them all in an instant. So as the band comes up, let me say this. There is no ebb and flow to the battle. Right, when the Lamb of God, the lion-hearted king, comes riding in, the battle is won. The victory is ours. It is the most lopsided battle in all of history, in all of time, in all of eternity. He has already done it once, like we sang about earlier. He's already defeated death, and he's going to do it again in the ultimate way. We're all in this war, the unseen battle that is wrecking havoc on the seen and unseen world around us. And in the final set of seven, it says to us, when we boil it down, it says expect to win. Expect to win. Right? This set of seven says you may have sickness, expect to overcome it. Either on this side of heaven or on that side of heaven, either way, fight and expect to win. The bulls say, hey, you got a, 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 got in a fight again with your spouse and you don't know how you're going to overcome it. Well, fight for your marriage and expect to win. You, you're not sure if you can live one more day feeling like this. Your mental health is just non-existent and the pain is almost unbearable. Get help. Step up to the table. You're a part of an army and there's others there with you. Fight and expect to win. You've been trying to tell your best friend about Jesus for what seems like forever now. Right? They won't come with you to church, let alone a Easter egg hunt or whatever outreach event. You want to give up. You don't know if you can build the army anymore. Fight and expect to win, it says. Right, the, the whole world seen and unseen seems to be against us. But God says, fight, build an army, know the enemy, know their tactics that they're going to use government and, and, and desires and things that we want and things of value in this world, but they're not of earth kingdom value. He says, know those tactics. Expect to win. So let's stand and sing in victory of our Lord, our God.